I just want to spend a few seconds here at the beginning of this message to say thank you to you, church family. One of the things that many of you have done is you've gone out of your way to send an email or a note, just say, hey, praying for you, I love you. And I have been so overwhelmed by the encouragement of individuals who've used the power of words and also connected to the power of prayer to be such an encouragement to me. And so I want to thank you for that on behalf of our pastoral staff team. We are so excited about the anticipation of seeing where the Lord's going to take Hope Church in this next year. And we know that 2020 started in a completely different way than any of us anticipated. And as we've watched this year unfold, one thing that I know for sure is that the Lord is faithful. And I'm so grateful for that. So I just wanted to begin by saying thank you. This morning, we're going to study a passage of scripture that is incredibly encouraging. And part of the reason why it's so encouraging is that the disciples entered into a time period where they really could have been blown away by the pressure that was building in, the, in and against the church. I had one great experience about 20 years ago, my wife and I and my brother and mom and dad, we had the privilege to go to Hawaii and we were able to book an excursion on a catamaran, a sailboat, and it was, it was incredible. It was one of the highlights of my life. We were able to sail out to this, this great volcanic uh, crater where we could snorkel. And, and on the way out there, there were whales on both sides of the boat and dolphins, and it was just this, this beautiful experience. But when we arrived there, because we sailed out to this place, one of the things the captain said was, we made it here today in record time. And, and I had this, this moment just for a second thinking, wait a second, if we sailed here, how do we get back to the same destination that we left from if we're using that same wind? Because you, your mind instantly thinks of this like a kite, right? Like, how do we blow back and and, and, and there's this, this great quote that was shared in a chapel when I was at Cedarville that has stuck with me. And, and since that time, I've enjoyed sailing a couple times. And I just I love the idea that it doesn't really matter which direction the wind is blowing, as long as the set of your sails is in position in such a, a way that it can harness that instead of allowing it to, to really blow you away. And I want you to hear this quote as we consider what happened in the early days of the church and, and how the, the pressure that was placed upon them was something that they were able to respond to in a way that led to great power, great work, and God was on the move. It says this, Ella Wheeler Wilcox said it this way. She said, one ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the seas are the ways of fate as we voyage along through the life. Tis the set of the soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. There, there was a hurricane forced storm that was coming down upon the early church. We, as we've studied this, as we enter into Acts chapter five, that they are now going to head into a time period of great persecution. People are going to die. They're going to follow the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there are going to be individuals in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that are going to die because of their association with Christ. We believe historically, most of the disciples are going to die tragic deaths, based upon their association with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and it would stand to reason as you watch this on the outside that this pressure that's going to come upon them is going to be a source of great discouragement. In fact, you'd almost expect them to retreat. But instead, what they choose to do, it's, it's, it's fantastic to see it in God's word, is that they choose to boldly stand up to declare confidence in the Lord. And then in their persistence, they continue to declare the praises of the Lord. And today, as we study this passage in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see this miraculous hand of God at work. His, his hand pushing them forward in the face of great opposition and what I want to encourage you in, and I'm going to take some time to pray for each one of you this morning, is that in the midst of great opposition, you and I can have unrelenting hope. So, so we accept that what's going on around us, so many unknowns, but in the, in, a, in the midst of great opposition, whether it's from the events that are surrounding us or whether it's what's happening spiritually, whatever it is, that you and I can have great hope hope. And so I'm going to ask you to join me as we bow our heads together in prayer in our spaces around Northeast Ohio and just dedicate this time to the Lord and ask that he would speak to us and he would work in our lives as we hear his word together today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the fact that you have been the one constant thing in the midst of so many things that have changed in our lives over these last few months. Lord, I want to thank you for the image of a person who takes the lead that steps through a large pile of snow and, and those that go behind them, they, they can step in the footprints of the person that's gone before them. And, and I just want, want to thank you that as inheritors of a faith that has been passed down from generation to generation, Lord, that, that we can step in the footprints of people who went through in many ways, much larger storms than what we have ever faced, probably will ever face in our Christian lives. I take great encouragement in that. Lord, I take great peace in the fact that it is because of your steadfastness that I can have deep hope. It is because of your goodness that we can anticipate your ongoing provision, your strength and your wisdom and discernment in our lives. So we pray for Hope Church. We, we love Hope Church. I thank you for the church body that's been kind of dispersed in these times that we, we haven't been able to be in the same space together. We look forward to the day when that's possible. We pray for your hand of protection. We pray, pray for your hand of blessing. And we pray that we would be people who continue to not just get caught up and blown away in the storm, but instead that we can allow ourselves to be propelled forward because of your provision and your goodness and our ability to respond well to it. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to pick up this week in verse 17. And I'll just remind you what had happened in the verses before is that there was such a movement of God. People were coming to Christ. The church is growing. The Lord's adding daily to the number of those who are being saved. And, and you get this, this sense, even through the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira, that the church is on the move and God's at work. But that movement didn't go unnoticed by the religious establishment of the day. The, the Jewish leadership in the synagogue was watching from a distance. And, and, and what we're going to see today is that God's word's really clear, that they, 
They were filled with jealousy that the, the, the applause, the attention, the growth, the movement of the church was so vibrant and they, they wanted that for themselves. And so what they choose to do is to try to silence the message of, of the, the gospel, the, the message of the messengers that have been so impacted by God. And in this attempt to, to silence them, what ends up happening is God does these miraculous things on their behalf. Even, you know, even one of their leaders ends up doing something that's profound and declaring the provision and the wisdom of God. And, and as we, we study this, this historical event that unfolds, I hope this morning that you just leave here today deeply encouraged by the fact that, that when we are going through chaos, that God is consistent in the midst of it. That when we're going through all kinds of things, like what we see is that, is that the masonry and the bars and the, the jail that was intended to hold them was not too big for God's handiwork. It wasn't too big for God to be able to set them free from. And, and, and the oppression, the actual beating that we're going to see that unfolds, what a tragedy in the history of the church that they're beat but what we're going to see is that they're going to rise up afterwards and then they're going to declare the praise of the Lord. And they're going to say this sentence. This sentence, I hope, deeply encourages you this morning. Is that they're going to say, we count it a privilege to suffer for his namesake. Now, I look at that and I say, that takes faith. But what it takes faith is faith in a God who's worthy of our praise. Beginning in verse 17 of Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in a public prison. But during that night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. He brought them out and he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Love these verses. These just, just a few verses. There's just so many powerful things that God does. So here they are. They're back in the temple. They're declaring the message of the gospel. They're sharing both the good news and the bad news. The recognition that our sin separates us from God. But through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he made provision for us so that we can have true hope. They're declaring that message and as they're declaring it, what it, the text says, the, the disciples were there. It's not just two of them, or it's actually the full group of them. They, there are these religious leaders filled with jealousy. They lock them up. And, and then over that nighttime period, as they're locked up by those who were told that these were a party of the Sadducees. Sadducees historically were the more secular between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were known for not believing in angels. And ironically, even though they didn't believe in angels, an angel of the Lord is going to come. He's going to pull out these disciples. And the next morning, they're going to be right back where they were. I, I have this mental image as I think of this, that the, uh, it talks about the high priest. And I can just picture the high priest having a rough day the day before, maybe coming into the temple a little bit, a little bit later than normal. He's got his cup of coffee and he's thinking, man, yesterday was such a mess having to arrest all those guys. And and then you almost can just see him kind of spit it out as he looks over and he sees the very people that he arrested the day before that were supposed to be in jail at this moment. 
that they're, declare, they're doing exactly what they were doing the day before. It, it would have been tremendous. You know, it's, it's important as we see this that, that we understand that, that God's word gives us a little bit of insight into these religious leaders. It, it talks about a form of emotion that is, we know it as jealousy. It's funny, in the, in the Old Testament, when that term jealousy is used, it, it literally meant to, be, to turn red. Like, like you think of somebody becoming so angry emotionally that they're, they're upset, that they're, they're jealous. And, and when you couple that with jealousy that is selfish, so, so they were not jealous for God's glory, which actually I think is evidence in what the disciples were doing. They're, they're just jealous for God to be lifted high. In fact, jealousy in and of itself is at times in Exodus, it's describe, describing God. And so we, we know that the emotion is one thing, but what happens is they allow themselves to be filled with this emotion in such a way that they, they are furious. And the book of Proverbs, we're told that, that jealousy makes a man furious that he will not spare when he takes revenge. In other words, it's the jealousy is the precursor for a person to take action, to, to, to repay evil for evil, if you will. So here we see in the text this, this selfish jealousy that they allowed to take root in their lives and that it literally infuriates them. So, so now they go on the attack. They, they push in because of this emotion. And I'll just remind you this great counselor shared this with me. I've shared this before, but I think emotions are a gift from God. I'm so grateful that he allows us the privilege to feel emotions, but, but emotions, especially some of the, the harder ones like jealousy, they make a, a good caboose in our life, but they make a lousy engine driving the train of our life. That that they need to be placed in the right place in our life. Because what we end up seeing here is that they're actually using this sugar coating of religious indignation to, to attempt to cover up what was an ugly form of, of, um, of just persecution, ugly form of jealousy. And, and the text makes that pretty clear. So here, what we see is that they're filled they're filled to a point where it's, it's bubbling over that they're going to act in a particular way. Now, that's interesting in the book of Acts that that word is being used here because we know in the book of Acts that we're reminded that we ought to be filled with the spirit, right? So, so if you ask yourself the question, when you look at God's word, like, so, so can you be, can you stop yourself from being filled by bad things? Well, of course you can. The solution to that is by being filled with the right things, right? So um, I, I'm going to confess right now, I, I hate dandelions. Uh, might sound like a weird thing to say, but uh, I hate how they sneak up in my lawn. I hate how they turn white and fly. I hate my neighbor's dandelions, actually. Um, you're probably nervous if you invite me over to your home that I'm going to be judgy when I see I promise that I won't be too judgy, but I, I hate dandelions. I, I remember my sweet daughter one time, she, one of them, she brought me a bouquet of dandelions and it was, it was beautiful. And then she had a nasty allergic reaction afterwards. I hate dandelions. But um, I, was, I was reading the box of the chemicals that I used to try to prepare my lawn in order to kill off those nasty things. And, and it says this over and over again. It says the best way to fight something like the nasty dandelion is to make sure that your lawn is lush and full so that there's no space for it to grow. I think that that idea is actually essential for us in our Christian walk, that, that we want to be people who make no space 
for the things that have the potential of being tremendously damaging in our lives. In this case, what they chose to do was that they allowed that jealousy to take root and it ended up leading to what was going to be a, a great form of persecution for the early Christ followers. It was the Christian success that led these individuals to want to respond negatively to them. They were jealous. Verse 21, uh, the second part of it. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the Senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, just, just briefly want to note that that angel, we, we don't know exactly uh, who that angel was. It says an angel of the Lord. And there's some who, uh, as we try to understand, it's important that we always understand angels as messengers from God, that God sent this angel. And we don't know if he allowed them to come through the walls or if it was, we know it was a supernatural release that was done, that God set these individuals free. And, and we know that at the time that this is even being discussed, that they had already been set free and they're, they're back to declaring the message of the gospel. Verse 23, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. What's going to happen here? And someone came and they told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I just, just love this. I, I love this image of them not being caught and blown away by this, but instead they're just right back to, to obedience. Did you catch what the angel told them to say. We know that, that when we think about God, he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? That the message that the angel told them to declare was about the life. And to me, is such an encouraging image that, that this is the word of life. This is hope. This is, this is what people desperately need. The antithesis of this is death. And here he's saying, go tell them the message of life. And I just, I just love how relentless this was. I love how unstoppable this truth was, that there was nothing that was going to keep them from functioning in a way that was going to bring God glory. And it reminds me something about the very character of God. The second point this morning is that God is unrelenting and he's unstoppable. You can think that your clever schemes are going to keep him from doing what you want him to do or to keep him from seeing what's going No, he's, they're trying to stop a movement of God by putting these individuals in prison and it failed. The disciples were probably at this point, if I put myself in their shoes, probably tempted to be a bit paralyzed by this, this, this beginning of the onslaught of those who were going to relentlessly try to silence their message, but they were relentless themselves. They go back to what God had asked of them. And this, this, this time period in history was, was profound. And it reminds me something about God, the way he works. And he does this in my life so often that, that times that I'm willing to just open my eyes to see where he's at work, that at times I just see his handiwork masterfully woven into the fabric of my day-to-day -day life. I just adore this story 
shared by Andrea Wolf. She serves on a mission board in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she tells the story. In 1930, Stalin had ordered a purge of all of the Bibles and all of the believers in Stravopol, uh, Russia. This order was carried out with vengeance. Some of you remember this from your history books. It was a horrible time in history. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated. Multitudes of believers were sent into the gulags, the prison camps where most died unjustly condemned as enemies of the state. The mission later sent a team to Stravopol. The city's history wasn't known at that time because it had been in lockdown and there wasn't a lot of news that had come out. But when the team was having difficulty getting Bibles shipped in from the outside, um, from Moscow, someone mentioned the ex existence of a warehouse outside of the town where these confiscated Bibles um, had been stored since that time of Stalin. After the team had prayed ex extensively, one of the members finally mustered up the courage to go into the warehouse and ask the officials if the Bibles were still there. Sure enough, they were there. And then the missionaries boldly asked if the Bibles could be removed and distributed again to the people in that community. And the answer was yes. The next day, the mission team returned with a truck, several Russian people that they'd hired to help distribute the Bibles. And one of the helpers was a young man uh, who was very skeptical. He was hostile, agnostic, a college student. He was just hired for the distribution. He came only for the day's wages. As they were loading the Bibles, one team member noticed that the young man had disappeared. Eventually, they found him in the corner, in a corner of the warehouse, and he's just sobbing. He's weeping. He had slipped away, hoping to take one of the Bibles for himself. What he did not know was that, that he was being pursued by what poet Francis Thompson calls the hound of heaven. What he found shook him to his core. The inside page of the Bible that he picked up had the handwritten signature of his own grandmother. It had been her personal Bible, and out of the thousands of Bibles still left in that warehouse, he stole the very one belonging to his grandmother, a woman who throughout her life was persecuted for her faith. No wonder the man was weeping that God had powerfully yet tenderfully made himself known to this young man. I, uh, when, I, when I read words in God's word, like Jeremiah 23, 24, that says, do not I fill both heaven and earth, declares the Lord that that God was present in that, that prison that day or in that jail that day, that God was present with the disciples when they stood up to declare his praises, that God was present even using his word to speak a message of loving kindness to a man that desperately needed it. The God that I serve, the God that I love, the God that I worship is a God who is relentless about his loving kindness to his people and at times we, we miss it, right? We overlook it, but he's at work. It's such a great story. And I, I want you to pick back up with me in the biblical, um, the verse 26, to see how this story unfolds. Then the captain with the officers went and he brought them, but not by force. They, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Do you get the sense like the, that God was such at work that, that now they're afraid? They're, they're nervous. This, is, this is, seems... Like, like, wait, well, let's catch this, actually. This is really important. So these individuals that are standing outside of this, and when they talk about how the gates were still locked, and they just had observed a miracle. 
that the, the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin had just observed a miracle that, that God had done this thing. And so now they have to figure out what they're going to do with this. Are they going to believe? Are they going to find a way to reject it? Well, unfortunately, they found a way to reject it, but it shook them. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. <laughs> you see that? This is what's happening, right? It's filling Jerusalem. It's, it's spreading like wildfire. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Do you, so, so now he says, you're offending us because you can't seem to, to want to act like we were involved in the death of Jesus. And, and you know what the response was by the disciples? They actually said, well, that's exactly what we're saying. I mean, that's exactly what we're saying. You, your sin, your disobedience, your inability to listen to the message of Christ and to receive it ultimately put Jesus on the cross. I want to pause for a moment and make sure that I'm really clear this morning that, that it's important that we all hear that message for ourselves as well. That, that Peter understood that it was his sin that put Jesus on the cross. That I understand that it was my sin that put Jesus. I, I don't read these words with an indignation that says, how could they? But I actually read this and I say, yes, it was my decisions that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse 21, 29, we see how Peter responds. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. We've heard that before. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. A reference to the cross. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. They, they don't serve a dead leader that's gone. They, they recognize that the Lord has risen. They saw the resurrection in verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. And so the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, when they heard this, they were enraged. And now that, that sin of jealousy and their, their watching this, their rejection of this leads them to, it says, that they wanted to kill them. You could almost hear, crucify him. That here then steps in Gamaliel, verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. This man's a very interesting man in history. He's known as having a title above almost every other Jewish scholar of the time. He was a Pharisee. He was the highest ranking officer of the Pharisees. He was a teacher. He's known as being a disciple of disciples. And here he, we see him being a pragmatic and wise man trying to figure out how to respond to this. He says this in verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him and he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And then after that came Judas, the Galilean. He rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them be alone. For if this plan or this undertaking as of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found 
opposing God. Those words, we we don't get quotes like this from religious leaders often in God's word that were outside of the disciples. And these words were were pragmatic. They were profound. They were dripping with truth. And and then what we see is, is that we find out later in Acts 22 that one of Gamaliel's famous pupils was a man by the name of Saul. That Saul, as a student of Gimaliel, would have heard these words and that it would be the, almost the very words that God says to him in your zeal, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're on the wrong side. And here, this man who is so close to the truth, he is so aware of what it means to respond with wisdom. And yet what ends up happening is it says they take his advice And then they called the apostles and they beat them. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Most scholars today believe that the appropriate um, discipline method would have been what was known as the 40 lashes minus one. That this would have been 39 lashes, two on the back, one on the front, two on the back, one on the front. That was a shameful, painful beating that was given in the name of justice and in the name of discipline. They're spanked by the religious leaders publicly. The reason they did that was because of their emotions. The reason they did that was because of their jealousy. The reason they did that was because they believed that they could silence the movement of God through putting this kind of pressure. But you know what ended up happening? I know you do. You know that even in the midst of this, that the disciples, this is so encouraging for me in studying this, is that that the Lord Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, 17, he specifically told them that you are going to be beat because of my name. He specifically told them that they were going to be persecuted for his name's sake. And so they're going through it. And you'd think that this might discourage them, beat them down to the point where they're ready to give up. But instead, what ends up happening, it says in this in verse, verse 41, and it, it brings this last point that I want to share with you this morning, is that with his strength, we can be completely unstoppable. With his strength, we can be unstoppable. They could have been filled with fear, shame, embarrassment, but instead what they were filled with was rejoicing. Verse 41 Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Well, that didn't work out well for those who were trying to stop the message of the gospel. What it ended up doing was it fanned the flame. It they, they took this pressure and it allowed them to fuel their ongoing mission. I want to share with you what I think are a few very helpful self, self-evaluation questions that I think help each one of us make sure that we apply this truth, not just as an ancient truth, but as a, a present and very important truth for each one of us to apply in our lives. The first that stands out to me is, Am I allowing the challenges of my life to strengthen my resolve to obey the Lord? Or am I giving myself an excuse to drift away from him? I'm tired of 
the excuses that, that built into us to say, you know what, do I really have to do that? Is that really what God's asking of me? Is that what I do? Psalm 1 was, was written about this. He says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Not so are the wicked for they're like the chaff that's just blown in the wind is the way he puts it. And I just can't help but think some of us, we just, we just want to find an excuse to justify why we're, we're being tossed in the wind. I love the way the late Ravi Zacharias, who we are mourning this week, who went to be with the Lord, that he said this is so profound. He says, I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we've put him. We have kept him at a distance. And then when we are in need and we call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. Well, he's exactly where we left him. I love that image of us standing back and just saying, are we, are we tossed in the wind? Are we founded in the truth? Am I allowing this to strengthen my resolve? Or am I allowing myself to have an excuse to be blown in the wind? The second question for self-evaluation is, am I allowing an emotion to take root in my life in such a way that it's leading to the destruction of myself or the destruction of others. I think that's extremely important for us to ask. The third thing is, am I refusing to do what I know God wants me to do? Even today, this Sunday, am I choosing to do what God is asking me to do today? Finally, the fourth one, as we see the, the, the disciples coming out and still being willing to be bold in declaring the, the message of the gospel. Am I refusing to share my faith because of fear of rejection or for any other reason? Uh, someone said to me uh, in a convicting way that, that if you are not actively choosing to share the gospel with people, you don't have to fear persecution. And, and so when you stand back and you look at what happened with the disciples. Maybe for some of us, we've never experienced any version of persecution in our faith because we haven't chosen to be public about our faith. I think that goes directly against what the Lord Jesus has asked us to be about. I, I, I think of all of this, and, and I think of the powerful words of John Hagee when he says, attempt something so great that for God that it is doomed to failure unless God is in it. I think that is at the epicenter of this message this morning, that in the face of painful opposition, we can all have unrelenting hope because of the fact that our God is strong, that his love endures forever. Lord, we love you and thank you for this morning. And I thank you for your word that, that pierces our hearts. And I ask that this would be applied in our lives. I ask that it would be applied in my own life. The ability to watch this event that historically took place 2,000 years ago, but that is so relevant today for those who are standing amidst what it feels like to, to stand up and to have to be able to say, this is who I am. In your word, I'm called to be bold about what it means to be associated with your namesake. We love you. We thank you for your love for us and that your love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.